What made those early Christians from the book of Acts so great? Well, not themselves. It wasn't the individuals that were so great. It was because they took the Holy Spirit as a blessed gift and they depended and relied on the Holy Spirit when they were propagating the gospel. Our sermon tonight, as a way of introduction, let's turn to Isaiah 26.3. Isaiah 26.3. And this verse provides um, a sort of summary to the core message of tonight's sermon. Isaiah 26.3, and if you're there, please read out loud with me. It says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Now, this past January was when I started to learn how to drive. Um, 2021 came, 2020 finished, and then 2021 came, and I realized in January that my road test was on March 28th. So I decided it was finally time for me to actually put some effort in and learn how to drive from my dad. Now, if you were to ask my dad how it was to teach me, he would probably laugh because I was such a, a bad driver in general. And honestly, I was very scared being behind the wheel. Not necessarily scared of the driving aspect, but I was scared of hitting another road user and then being in debt for the rest of my life. More so that type of scared. <laughs> but beyond me being scared, my dad had the most frustration and difficulty when it came to teaching me the basic of the basics of driving, which was controlling the steering wheel. Now, the steering wheel, at least for me, uh, maybe others have a better experience of it, but for me, it was by far the most confusing aspect of driving and by far the most frustrating aspect of driving. Whenever my dad asked me to park, reverse or forward, it didn't matter, I would always mess up. Every single time in that first month, I kept messing up how to park. I just didn't get how to move the steering wheel properly. I would always overturn the wheel, even though it only required a very, very small adjustment. And sometimes I would turn and turn and turn, and the moment I put it on park, I wouldn't know how the wheels were aligned. So the moment I would start reversing, I would start veering to the left or to the right and never straight. And if you're parked between two cars, if you start veering to either side, you will dent their cars. And so I was a terrible parker. Still kind of am, but <laughs> I'm working on it. But after a couple of weeks, you know, a light bulb finally lit up in my head. And I started to understand how, how the wheels work in relation to the steering wheel. And I started to get the hang of it. And I'm very glad I was able to. Not only because of the fact that learning the steering wheel is kind of boring and it's very confusing in the beginning, but mostly because steering wheel or controlling the steering wheel is honestly the foundation for every aspect of driving. If you were very inept with controlling the steering wheel, you wouldn't be able to park forward, parallel, or reverse because you end up denting all the cars that are parked beside you. You wouldn't be able to change lanes smoothly. You wouldn't be able to turn at intersections quickly. You wouldn't be able to do much if you had no knowledge of the steering wheel and you couldn't use it properly. Without the steering wheel, you are extremely limited with what you, with what you can do with your vehicle. You'll be able to go straight, 
and backwards. That's all. Well, it just so happened just a couple weeks back when we were being assigned sermon topics that I managed to draw tonight's sermon, which is titled, Is God Your Steering Wheel? Is God Your Steering Wheel? And I don't think this is coincidence. Maybe this, this part of that divine humor, uh, God knows that I, was, I stunk at the steering wheel, so it made me preach about steering wheels. <laughs> but just as the steering wheel is integral for learning and how and operating a car. God is the most integral part of our Christian walk. The central question, the, the main question that I, I pose to the congregation tonight is, is God the steering wheel of your life? And to help you come to an answer to that question, I will pose four smaller inquisitive questions that will help as the form, it will serve as the four main points of tonight's sermon. But before we begin, let us open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would help me with, preach with power, preach also with love and you all humility. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me preach entirely your words and not mine. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to especially my heart, but also the heart of all those who are listening tonight. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Now, the first of the four questions that I ask is, does God dictate the direction of your life? Does God dictate the direction of your life? Now, before the steering wheel was invented, the early cars used something called tillers to steer the car. And Glenn, can you just show what those look like? And so they use these things called tillers to maneuver and to steer the car. And it worked well enough, but it was not the most efficient way to control a vehicle. So in, 19, in 1894, a man named Alfred Vacheron, uh, he's the one accredited of being the first to use a, a wheel-shaped device. Back then it wasn't called a steering wheel just yet. But he was the first to use a wheel-shaped device to control his car. And it wasn't until 1898 that steering wheels became a standard feature in most cars. And by 1914, cars that used that, what we just showed, the tillers, they were all but gone. So why, why is that? Why did the tillers fade out and the steering wheels become popular? Well, simply put, steering wheels gave the drivers more control over their cars. That's it. I mean, I can't tell you that from experience because I wasn't alive in the 1800s, but uh, I'll just believe the testimonies of those who lived back then, all right? But tillers, they're still used today, but they're exclusively used for like water, uh, sailing boats and stuff like that. But today, when you go inside a vehicle, most likely you will find a steering wheel. And the point that I want to get to is that the steering wheel has one sole purpose. And it's in the name. It is to steer the vehicle. To steer means to guide. It means to control. And it means to direct something. Now, the verb steer is not exclusive to vehicles. Um, it can be used by people. We can use it to, when we're giving advice. You know, a lot of dads, when, they go, when their daughter likes a guy, a lot of dads sometimes say, steer clear from that guy. He's a wolf or something along those lines. It's used as well by, to give advice, to direct someone. So the steer, the verb steer, basically means to provide guidance or direct. 
That is the steering wheel's most important role and duty. If a steering wheel can't do that, it's, it serves no use and it needs to be replaced. Now, relating to your personal life, who or what is guiding your walk? As Christians, we say and we claim that God is our guide, that he is the one who guides us. We follow him and he guides us all along our path. We, we claim that. We say that because at our heart's core, that is what we want to be like, is someone who is guided by God. But sometimes when you look at a person's source of motivation, when you look at what motivates and drives an individual, you will see that what drives them and what motivates them often contradicts what they claim or what they declare. We say that God is our guide, but do our actions and do our motivations reflect that same thing? Now, turn with me to Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, uh, a very famous passage. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, and we receive a very incredible promise from God. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now this verse says that if we trust and acknowledge God, he shall direct our paths. He will steer our lives in the proper direction. He will steer our lives into His perfect will. Now, wait a minute. How can we know? How are we certain that God will steer us in the right direction? What if God steers us into a direction that is very rocky? What if God steers us in a direction that is very unclear and very dangerous? How do we know that His will and His guidance is the most appropriate path to take? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. When God is directing us, when God is uh, steering us into a certain direction, he has our peace in mind. He wants us to uh, have a peaceful end. The road there may not necessarily be the most solid, the most uh, easiest path, but the, at the end of it, he knows that that road, that that end will give us the most peace. A lot of people, they chase money. And the moment they attain incredible amounts of wealth, they realize in, on their deathbeds that they never truly attained any level of peace, any level of joy. And now they're going to die. And the only thing they have left beside them is their bags of cash. But God, His thoughts toward it is of peace. Now, it is no secret that God desires the very best for every one of His children. He is our Heavenly Father. Our earthly fathers, they desire the best for us. But as, our, as God is our Heavenly Father, He desires the very, very best. 
And it is in accordance to his omniscience. He knows everything. So he knows which path will lead to the best end. He's always, if we allow him to, steering us towards the direction of his will. And his will is the best place to be. His will may not always be a bed of roses. It may not always be a very uh, a path with no difficulty whatsoever. And we see, this pro- uh, we see this exact fact proven in the countless lives of faithful men and women in the Bible. God, God steered Joseph into prison, away from his family, even uh, kicked out and sold by his own brothers, so he could one day become one of the highest authorities in Egypt and would later help his family in a time of famine. God steered Abraham away from his stable life in his home uh, town of Ur and into an unknown land so that he could become the father of Israel, the father of many nations. God steered Daniel into captivity and exile, away from his beloved land, away from his beloved people, away from his beloved city of Judah, so that he could be a noble statesman and a godly witness to the most powerful foreign nations of that day. God steered Paul towards persecution, imprisonment, stoning, and all sorts of pains so that he could become one of the most influential Christian men in history and the one who was mightily used of God to reach the Gentiles and to propagate the gospel. Outside of Scripture, we don't have to just look exclusively at Scripture, we see the same principle. We see God steering Amy Carmichael away from China and Japan. Amy Carmichael thought that those were the, the countries that she wanted to, that God wanted her to minister to. But God steered her away from those countries so that she could become the beloved mother figure of hundreds of orphans in India. God steered David Brainerd out of Yale University, a renowned university, and into a life of isolation, into a life of sickness, and into a life of pain, just so that he could one day become the lighthouse for the natives of America, and to inspire countless future missionaries and full-time workers. There are too many to name, but God has steered countless men and women towards martyrdom, to die for the cause of Christ, so that he could use their testimonies, so that he could use their lives to embolden and strengthen the future generations. You'd think that these martyrs would have been a warning flag to all the other Christians. You'd think that the other Christians would have ran away, hid, and been scared. But when the other early Christians saw their beloved brothers and sisters getting martyred for their faith, what did they do? They became even stronger and bolder and more courageous for the cause of Christ. And a recent famous example of this, countless stories and sermons have been told about him, is Jim Elliott and his friends. And truthfully, I don't need the examples in Scripture, nor the examples of the above men that I just mentioned, because God has proven this blessed truth in my own life. He will steer us into a path, into a difficult path, stuff that will cause us maybe heartache and sorrow, because he has a peaceful, expected end in mind for each and every one of his children. By looking back at Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, for God to direct our paths, there were three conditions here. There were three conditions, and two of them are things that you need to do, and one of them is something that you have to avoid. For God to direct our path, one, you must trust him. 
Two, you must acknowledge him in all your ways. And three, you must not lean upon your own understanding. Now, these first two things, we do well. We trust God to supply. Two, we acknowledge God. We know that he is the God of our lives. But this is where many Christians err in the third one. You must not lean upon your own understanding. We take God's guidance and we mingle with it a little bit of our own knowledge. Knowledge that we've gained for however, however many years you've lived on, on earth, for myself, 22 years. We, we take the 22 years of knowledge that we have and we mingle it with his divine knowledge and we use that to carve our own path, to carve our future. But Proverbs 3 says, you must not lean upon your own understanding. Why is that? Why can't we think for ourselves? 1 Corinthians 3.19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. The very wisest men and women in this world, their wisdom in comparison and in contrast to God's is just but foolishness. In 1 Corinthians 1.25, it says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. So the, even if God was able to have foolish thoughts, which is not, but even he, if the most foolish things of God, if that was even possible, would still be wiser than the wisest men and women in the world. And that is why we ought to not lean upon our own understanding, but on the divine knowledge of God. So ask yourself this first question. Is God the one dictating the direction of your life? Or is it something else? Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a potential career. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's someone else, a spouse, someone that you really love. Assess yourself. What is dictating the direction of your path, your life? If the direction or trajectory of your life is not being directed and steered by God, know this, you are not being led down the best path. In all honesty, you may be heading down a good path. You may be heading down a very financially successful path. You may be heading down a path with many friends. But I say this again, you will not be heading down the best path. As many have preached in the past, we are letting the good and great things of the world to distract us away from God's best. Having money, that's good. Having friends, that's good. Having a stable life, that's good. But why are we not striving to attain the very best? And that the very best will only come if we are let and allow God to steer our personal life. The second question, are you firmly holding on to God? Are you firmly holding on to God? Back in 2005, there was a secular song that was released titled, I've never, heard, I've never listened to this song fully myself, but it was titled, Jesus Take the Wheel. And again, I've personally never listened to the song, but I've only heard it, that one snippet here and there. 
But one of the lyrics, I read the lyrics, and it says, Jesus, take the wheel, take it from my hands, because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. So the, the picture that the, the writer was trying to paint is she was about to get into a car crash, and she was letting go of the wheel to let Jesus completely take control. Well, putting aside the song for now, in the context of driving, it is never advisable to let go of the steering wheel. In almost any case, it's never the most advisable course of action to just completely let go of the steering wheel. You know, in road tests specifically, if you repeatedly forget to have both hands on the wheel, you know, sometimes they advocate 10 and 2, 9 and 3, maybe even 8 and 4, but just two hands on the wheel, that's all they require of you. If you don't do that one thing, they have, there's a great possibility that they can fail you for just that one small uh, thing, thing that you fail to do. Now, driving instructors are not enforcing this rule because they are just trying to find more ways to fail you, but because two hands on the wheel serve a purpose. Now, two hands on the wheel, is that the most comfortable way to drive? No, that for me at least is definitely one of the the, most, the least comfortable ways to drive is going like this. But is it the safest way to drive while also giving you the most control over your car? Yes, it is. And people will try to debate me on this, but it is. If it wasn't the safest way to control and maneuver a car, why then do NASCAR and F1 racers use both hands when going at high speeds and when driving professionally? Now, they're some of the best drivers in the world, and all of them are taught to keep their hands at nine and three. That is how they are taught. You're not going to find a professional NASCAR driver going like this at uh, 12 o'clock. You won't find any of those. You might find them in a Hollywood movie, but you won't find them in real life. Even while turning, drivers are discouraged from hand-over-hand -hand steering. They must firmly hold on to nine and three. Because that could be, because while they're going in high speeds, that could be the, the difference between life and death. I also find it fascinating. I've been in the car with many drivers before, and most of them drive with one hand because it's the most comfortable. But the moment something alarming shows up, maybe someone cuts off, maybe something just abrupt happens, though they drive casually with one hand, the moment something abrupt happens, that's when they grasp the wheel intensely. That's when they, they grab the wheel with two hands. Why? The same reason why professional racers keep both hands on the wheel. Two hands firmly held onto the steering wheel will give the most control over the car. Now, contrary to the song that I mentioned earlier, we are not to let go of the wheel when in times of great distress. But in fact, we must grip even tighter to it. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 13.4. Deuteronomy 13.4. This verse says, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him. And the important part is in this last phrase, and cleave unto him and cleave unto him. And this Hebrew word for cleave is the, uh, dabak, which means to cling, which means to adhere. So cleave, cling, and adhere, those are all words that essentially are telling us to do this one thing, which is to firmly hold on to God. A couple years back, a man from Florida named Chris Gursky 
He decided to go uh, hang gliding in Switzerland. Now, you may have seen this video. You may have heard of this uh, event because it went quite viral. But the moment they made the runoff and the moment they took flight, that's when Chris Gursky noticed something was horribly wrong. His harness was not attached properly. He wasn't attached at all to the, the paraglide nor to the driving instructor, not driving, uh, paragliding instructor. Now, falling from a height of 4,000 feet in the middle of your vacation wouldn't be quite fun. And so for the next four minutes, Chris Gursky literally had to hold on for dear life. Now, however scary the situation was, it actually ended relatively well. He got away from it with only a fractured wrist and a torn bicep, but the alternative was him falling to his death. So that's a quite a, a good ending. Now, in his interview afterwards, he said that he was holding on to the bar so tightly that he felt like his left hand was making an imprint on that metal bar. Now, it literally wasn't making an imprint, but he felt like he was making an imprint because of how hard he was gripping onto that. Now, throughout this whole ordeal, Chris said that he had no grip left at all. And that at any time he could have slipped and fell, but he was just doing his very best to hold on with the, 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 the last of his strength. And he honestly thought that this was where he would die. Now, halfway into the video, something interesting happens. When his grip starts to fall, we see the hang gliding instructor hold and grip onto his hand to prolong his grip for just a few more minutes. And then, Glenn, can you just show that picture? And for four minutes, Chris Gursky had to hold that position, uh, lest he die, and lest he fall and die. And you can just take away the right hand, because that right hand isn't doing anything. It's barely holding on to the leg of the instructor. But as you can see, his left hand, he is clenching to that metal bar as hard as he could. But you see, when his, his grip started to fail, the instructor put his hand over top to give him a little bit more time to grip onto that bar for just a little bit longer until they find a way to land somehow. Now, if the instructor didn't do what he did in that video, I personally believe that Chris Gursky would have slipped to his death with, on, uh, before they landed. Now, that story there is to illustrate how we ought to cling and hold on to God. To hold on to him like our life truly depended on it. Sometimes we, we forget that God is the one, the sustainer of life. Because we just wake up in the morning and everything is how we remembered it. We, we eat breakfast, we go to work, we go home, we do whatever else in between. And, you know, it becomes automatic for us. And we forget that through it all, God is the one sustaining us through every step. At any given night, he could take us home so that to be with him and we wouldn't have any more days to live on the world. We have to hold on to him like our life depends on it because it does. The moment we depend on ourselves, even in one small area, the moment we start depending on our own strength and power in this very small niche area, Eventually, there's a domino effect. We'll start to rely on ourselves, not just on that one niche area, but in 
every other area. Maybe you were just independent in this one small task, but the moment you keep giving yourself credit, the moment you let your ego boost, you will eventually start to depend on yourself in every single thing that you do every single day. And that is how Christians backslide. No longer, they feel, do, no longer do they feel that they need God. No longer do they feel that they are dependent on God so that eventually they phase God out of their life and because they know, because they think that they can go through life by their own power and strength. But we have to grip onto God every single moment that we are alive on this world. And like in that story, sometimes that our grip will weaken. There are things in our, in our life that will weaken our grip, tribulations, trials. But the moment our grip on God begins to weaken, this is when we remember this blessed truth. Ultimately, God is the one holding on to us. Yes, he commands us to cleave unto him. But the truth of the matter is God is already holding on to us, ultimately. He will hold on to us when we can no longer hold on. That's why when you are in a very depressing situation, the best course of action is to grip God even tighter and grip onto God even firmer. Isaiah 41.13 says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Ask yourself the second question, are you firmly holding on to God? Or are you trying to escape and go away from Him? This third one, this third question is, are you relying on your own power, not God's? Now, though it existed before the 1950s, Chrysler was the one that formally introduced the first power steering system to the general public. Now, what power steering does, it is greatly reduces the effort and energy and strength required to be able to steer the wheels of a vehicle. Now, without power steering, cars are much, much harder to turn. And the heavier your car was, the, hard, the more strength needed to actually to be able to turn that car without power steering. But now with power steering, the steering wheel becomes lighter, significantly easier to use, and driving is now a much safer activity because of it. We can react as we ought to because we can now move the steering wheel quickly enough. And without a power steering wheel, most people wouldn't be able to drive because of the, the, the physical effort required to do so. Aspects of driving that are usually very mindless, like parking, like turning, without power steering, they become difficult and laborious tasks. Listen to these next two verses. Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. And Exodus 14, 14, the Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And what those two verses indicated is life is not meant to be lived and walked using our own power, relating to the previous point. We are not to rely on our own strength but his strength, and this is the, the source of our strength, the source of the Christian's power, it is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides within each and every single believer. The junior church leaders, they just had a whole month dedicated to the Holy Spirit's ministry. This, this fact, this doctrine, this doctrine of the Holy Spirit and his character, 
if we understand and know the Holy Spirit's ministry more, we will become more victorious Christians. God himself resides in our body because our body is his temple and we have immediate access to the Holy Spirit. We have immediate access to this great power, yet we don't tap into that. Instead, we put it away, we put it back in our pockets, and we continue to use our own frail strength to accomplish what could have been a very simple task with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. If we try to live life without the Spirit, things that used to be simple, things that used to be joyful to us, become incredibly difficult and impossible to sustain. And I'll give you an example from my personal life. Back when bus ministry was up and running still, when I was right with God, I would be more patient with the children. I would have energy to play with the children despite how little sleep I had. And I would be able to put forth all of my effort into being able to serve in this ministry. And I would do it joyfully above all. But the moment I discarded God's power, the moment I started living for myself, the moment I depended on my own power, what was once a joy to me, what was once a joyful ministry to me became a duty. I would be impatient. My fatigue would show. And my effort in this ministry became half-baked. What was once easy and joyful and very peaceful to me became something that I loathed and did not want to be a part of without the Holy Spirit. Ministry, service, your prayer life, your devotional life, your relationship with other Christians and the unsaved, all of these things will become impossible to sustain and succeed in and joyfully performed without the Spirit's power. Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power, after that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And guess what, folks? We all have the Holy Spirit residing within each and every single one of us. What made those early Christians from the book of Acts so great? Well, not themselves. It wasn't the individuals that were so great. It was because they took the Holy Spirit as a blessed gift, and they depended and relied on the Holy Spirit when they were propagating the gospel. Christians were being persecuted at this time, yet they still prospered. Why? Not because of them, but because they depended on the Holy Spirit. They knew that God will give the Holy Spirit as a gift to the Christians. And they took that gift, and they ran off with it and, and greatly utilized it. Answer this third question. Are you relying on yourself, or are you relying on your God? And the last question here, is God at the center of your life? Then the steering wheel, it should always be at the center. Now, it's not in, the, in relation to the car, it's not at the center. Here in Canada and just in North America, the steering wheel is on the left. In the UK, Australia, the steering wheel is on the right. Depending on the road and how the roads are designed, uh, determines the steering wheel positions. But in relation to the driver, the one controlling the vehicle, the steering wheel is straight on, front and center. Now, to the left, you have the window controls. You can move it up and down. You have the, the, the mirror controls. You have whatever else is on your left. 
On your right, you have the center console. You can play with the AC. You can play with the music. You can look at your GPS, etc., etc. Above to your right, you can look at your rear view mirror. Below you, you can find the brake pedal, the gas pedal, the parking brake, etc. But immediately front and center is the steering wheel. Placed there so the driver can have immediate and comfortable access to that wheel. Now, if the driver didn't have access to that wheel immediately, it would make driving complicated and more uncomfortable, uncomfortable than it should be. Now, imagine if the steering wheel and the brake and gas pedals were swapped, and we had to use our hands to control the pedals, and we had to use our feet for the steering wheel. Now, that makes a very simple thing more complicated than it has to be. The steering wheel is front and center to give us immediate access. And similarly, God presents himself as a God that we have immediate access to. He's not some sort of divine deity that is in another planet, in another universe that we have no direct access with. We have the Bible to learn more about him, and we have prayer so that we can talk to him himself. We have immediate access to God. So we have no excuse not to make him front and center of our walk. In John 15, 5, it says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Without me, ye can do nothing. Now, the original concept, the original title of this sermon was, Is God Your Steering Wheel or Your Spare Tire? Is God your steering wheel or is your spare tire? Now, many Christians treat God like a spare tire rather than the front and center steering wheel. Now, the spare tire is often in the back of the trunk, and most often it is hidden, out of sight, and covered with some sort of carpentry, with upholstery. It's out of sight, completely out of sight. And unless you knew it was even there, most other passengers wouldn't even know that there was a spare tire back there, unless they know how trunks work. Some even leave their spare tires at home. That defeats the purpose. But anyways, some leave their spare tires at home. Like the name suggests, the spare tire is only used when one of the other tires are flat. It is only used and brought up the moment a problem arises. Now, where do we see that? Unfortunately, we try to keep our relationship with God, like that spare tire, out of sight and hidden. We stuff an omniscient God into the trunk. We stuff him in there, and we act like he's not part of a life. But the moment something very distressing happens, the moment an emergency arises, we quickly pull him out of the trunk, and we go to him. And a lot of those distressing situations we would have never even been in if God was never in the spare, it was never a spare tire, but if he was just a steering wheel all along. But there are some sources of distresses that we will inevitably experience. But as long as God is the steering wheel, as long as God is front and center in your life, 
those difficulties are just another source of growth for you. We take all the things of this world, they were once in the back of the trunk, they were once out of sight, but we take them out and we make them, we, we, try, we somehow make it the, the steering wheel of our life. And then we take out the steering wheel and put it in the trunk and make that the spare tire. We have to put everything in its proper place. Take away the world, throw it out, and put God where he ought to be, front and center. We think to ourselves, if this or this thing doesn't work out, then I can always go back to God. I always have that backup plan. You know, if everything else fails in my life, you know what, I'll, then I'll go back to God. That shouldn't be even a, a path for us to take. While we are performing our day-to-day -day life, while we are performing our day-to-day -day activities, every single step of the way, from the moment you wake up, from the moment you wake up and the moment you go to bed, God should be the one directing because he is front and center, and he is wanting you to access him. He's wanting you to talk to him. He's wanting you to get to know him. And he's wanting you to utilize his perfect guidance. Only if you want his perfect guidance. Now, I came across a title, a list titled, Nine Habits to Center God in Your Life. And I'll just go through them. There's submission. Surrender is essential to having the God at the center of your life. Two is confession. If you want God to be the center of your life, you have to get rid of your sins. Admit, to your, admit your sins and ask forgiveness. Number three is to study. If you really want God to be the center of your life, you need to read your Bible and study the Bible. How else do you know more of Him if you don't study at all? Four, the habit of, of the guidance. You can't make God the center of your life if you are looking to other sources for advice. Ask God first, foremost. Number five, the habit of prayer. You can't make God the center of your life if you don't even talk to Him daily. If you don't even talk to Him throughout the day. He can't be at the front and center. It's impossible. Number six, fasting. Fasting is the act of sacrificing something precious, maybe a meal, maybe something else, so that for the sake of talking to God even more. That act of sacrificing something to replace it with an even better replacement, which is God, that will center your life and will make God your center. Number seven is service, using our God-given abilities to glorify God. Eight is giving, giving back to God what he has given to us. And number nine is worship, giving God the glory he alone deserves. Submission, confession, study, guidance, prayer, fasting, service, giving, worship. It's very possible that none of us have mastered all nine of these things. Some of us, we might not even be doing any of these nine things. But if we want to make God the center of our life, we have to get into the habit of dedicating everything to Him. Is God at the center of your life? Or have you relegated him to the role of a spare tire, stuffed in the back of the trunk, and never really accessing him until there's an emergency? To conclude, I ask these four questions again. One, is God directing your life? Two, are you firmly holding on to God? 
Number three, are you depending on God's power or your own? And number four, is God front and center of your life? If you are being directed by something or someone else, if you have loosened your grip on God and are trying to run away from his presence, if you are solely depending upon your own power, not the Spirit, and if you have made God your spare tire, then folks, that means you have refused God to be the steering wheel, to be the guider of your life. And let me warn you folks, if you replace God with another faulty steering wheel, the only outcome will be confusion, will be danger, and in some cases that path may even lead you to destruction and death. Now you might say that's a bit too harsh. Death? Some people have made drugs the guide, the guider of their life, and where are they now? Unfortunately, they are just another statistic of the, the danger of drugs. What you place in your life to be the steering wheel will determine the path that you take. But let me tell you this, folks. If God is your steering wheel, and if you never take him off of that blessed role, then the path that you are headed towards right now is one of peace and one filled with joy. Take this time tonight to self-reflect. We need God to be our steering wheel. We cannot have any other alternative. I assume everybody here wants to live joyful lives, to live lives just filled to the brim with happiness and joy. Well, one author said this, the secret of a happy life is giving God the first part of your day, the first priority to every decision, and the first place in your heart. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct the Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.